You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Thank you for being faithful, church. God bless you for it. For the past 20 chapters now, and I must say this, I gave you an outline at the beginning of this study, so about a month and a half ago when we started Jeremiah, and I think I'm going to change that outline, but I might change my mind next week, so we'll just wait until we get all the way through, and then, but I'm seeing that uh, the outline here is coming more and more clearly to me, and the past 20 chapters I see kind of grouped together. Uh, Jeremiah has warned Judah that unless they repent, the judgment of God is going to come upon them. And he pointed out their sin in great detail, didn't spare any expense as far as that is concerned. And so it should be. Pastors shouldn't pull any punches. Preachers shouldn't pull any punches when it comes to the truth of God's word. Uh, he highlighted the corruption that permeated the land uh, from the priests to the prophets to the people, I mean, everybody, but especially the leaders. He keeps on pointing out the corruption of the leaders. And we've mentioned throughout it all how we can see Jeremiah's spirit and how it is affected throughout his entire ministry. Uh, he knows that God is true, but there are times when he feels that God is lying to him. He knows that God is right, but he, under, he can't understand what God is doing. He knows that God is just, but he can't see what God is seeing. We said last week how he pleads and God rejects. He prays and God says, stop praying. He looks for hope, but God speaks of judgment. He looks for forgiveness, but God speaks of punishment. He loves his people, but they don't love him back. After years of this, years of praying and hoping for the repentance of his people, Years of prophesying and having nobody listen. Years of being persecuted and mocked and even physically abused. We ended last week by seeing that Jeremiah reached a breaking point. And he decided that he was going to quit. He said, I will speak no more in his name. I won't make mention of him anymore. He decided to quit, but then realized he couldn't. The word of God was in his heart as a burning fire shut up in his bones. He was weary with forbearing, he said in chapter 20, verse 9. I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. You will get weary in well-doing sometimes, but it does not match how weary you will feel in refusing to do what the Lord has told you to do. And while he still struggled, he still struggled with hurt and heartache in his ministry. He, at one point he says, Blessed be the Lord, I trust in you. And then the next verse, he says, Cursed be the day I was born. So he still struggled with the hurt and the heartache. But he kept going. And I've heard people say that this was a moment of weakness in Jeremiah's ministry. And they even chide him for it. And I would say that anybody who would chide Jeremiah for what he said has never been through what Jeremiah has gone through. Certainly, you could describe this point as a moment of weakness, but I believe every child reaches what the Bible calls the day of adversity. Certainly, it says if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. But there's nothing wrong with facing that day of adversity. I think everyone is going to face that day of adversity. Yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus 
shall suffer persecution. Jeremiah did grow weary, and he did grow weak. But he served a God whose strength was made perfect in weakness. And he trusted on him. And let, let me remind us, we, we serve the same God tonight, whose strength is made perfect in your weakness. And I think everyone has a thorn in the flesh. And we have asked many times for the Lord to take it from us. Lord, move the mountain. Lord, move the obstacle. Lord, change the situation, but instead he changes you. Instead of moving the mountain or getting rid of the mountain, he gives you strength to climb it. And it's the same thing that he was going to do with Jeremiah. As we come to chapter 21, first of all, we see that he didn't quit. But also, we come across a major jump in the timeline. Chapter 20 ends in the reign of Jehoiakim. Oh my goodness, I forgot to do something, and I really need to do it. Um, so, Brother Scott, can you do me a favor? Who's, who's outside? Who has the keys? Who has the keys? That's all right. We have time. You have the keys. Could you give the keys to Brother Mark? Brother Mark, could you do me a favor? Could you go next door in the fellowship hall and open my office? My office is open, and you'll see on my desk a stack of papers about this big, and it's the last five kings of Judah. Could you bring those and give them to the ushers? And I want to hand them out to you. I've, I want you to have this visual. I completely forgot. I'm so sorry. But there's things that we can do in the meantime. Don't laugh at me, Jillian. I'm old, okay? I'm old. I'm losing my mind slowly. Goodness. Uh, it's all downhill from here, brother. I tell you. I tell you that much. The more hair I lose, the more memory I lose. So it's not good. We'll get it out to you. But the reason I want to show you this is because it's going to help us. It, because from chapters 21 all the way through 44, we're going to run into these jumps in the timeline. And when the Lord gives us a time, he'll, he'll say, this happened in the certain year of the reign of this certain king. Now, Jeremiah prophesied for over half a decade during the reigns of the last five kings of Judah. Josiah, Jehoahaz, also known as Shalom, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, also known as Kaniah or Jeconiah, and then Zedekiah. And I've, instead of you just having that rattling around in your brains, I want to have it in front of you, and I just completely dropped the ball. So we'll get there. We'll get there, I promise. All right? I want all of you to be able to look at that uh, so that we can reference it, okay? Chapter 20 ends in the reign of Jehoiakim. Chapter 21... We're in kind of the beginning. Thank you so much. Gentlemen, let's get that out as soon as possible. Chapter 21 begins in the reign of Zedekiah. Okay? So what we're going to do is we're just going to give them time to, to get that out. In the meantime, where are you at in your Bible reading? How many of you, where are you at in your Bible reading? Share where you are. Miss Mia. Almost through with numbers. Very good. Very good. Pass it down. Take one down. Pass it around. Make sure that you get one. Anyone, anyone else, where are you at in your Bible reading? McKenna, where are you at in your Bible reading? Yes, Genesis. Miss Maria? I don't know that. You're in a lot of different places, though, because you're doing the 90-day, correct? Very good. Gavin, where are you at? Oh, you're asking for a paper. I don't read my Bible, Pastor. I just need a paper. <laughs> if you read your Bible, you wouldn't need a paper. That's right. I need a paper. <laughs> Miss Cassidy, where are you at?
Very good, Numbers. Such an incredible book, The Journeys Through the Wilderness. Balaam is such a weird guy, isn't he? Yeah. I love how he argues with his donkey. He never asks, why is the donkey talking? Have I ever done this to you before? No. Why are you hitting me? I don't know. No, what is, he actually yells back. Because I'm angry. That would be, don't you have stories in the Bible that you would love to be kind of a fly on the wall that you would love to go and observe? That is one of them. I just want to sit there and watch Balaam arguing with his donkey. Miss Tracy, where are you at? Finishing Ezekiel, such an incredible book, really. So we have Jeremiah, then Lamentations, and then Ezekiel. Son of man, 95 times God calls him the son of man. Does everybody have one? I didn't get one, but that's okay. So you're going to notice that that first king is Josiah up at the top. Okay? Uh, and then go to the left, and you'll notice that there's a number by each of them for one, two, three, four, five. Now, don't get confused. Don't be reading it from top then to bottom, because then you're reading it out of order. You got Josiah, which Jeremiah starts prophesying. Yes, please. Starts prophesying in the reign of Josiah. Thank you very much, Cole. Okay, then you go to Jehoahaz, also known as Shalom. That is Josiah's son. He only reigns for 90 days. And then you go to Jehoiakim. He reigns for 11 years. Then Jehoiachin, which is Jehoiakim's son, he reigns for three months and 10 days. And then you get to Zedekiah. So notice with me, the end of chapter 20, we are in the reign of Jehoiakim. Chapter 21, we're in the reign of Zedekiah. Now, Zedekiah only reigns for 11 years as well. Okay? Therefore, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So we have these jumps in the timeline, right? Now, the main direction of Jeremiah is going to move the timeline forward. But you're going to run into times when a chapter takes you back multiple years into a reign even of a previous king. And that can be confusing at first. But I've come to see that every jump in the timeline, especially the jumps backwards, add emphasis and detail to the story. That, and, and it wouldn't be as powerful if the book was written in chronological order. So pay close attention whenever you're reading the book of Jeremiah and you see a jump in the timeline or whenever God gives you a time. Pay very close attention to it. Right away in chapter 21, we're given a time. The word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent him pasture. That's not the same pasture as the chapter before. It's a different pasture. But we are in King Zedekiah's reign. The last king who would reign over Judah before Jerusalem is destroyed. Zedekiah reigned for only 11 years. Therefore, we know that whenever we read about something that is happening in Zedekiah's reign, that has to tell us the final destruction of Jerusalem is not far away. Whenever you see Zedekiah's name, think, Nebuchadnezzar is at the door. And the destruction of Jerusalem is not very far at all. And this is confirmed... Think of what has happened between chapter 20 and chapter 21. Just going from Jehoiakim to Zedekiah. Nebuchadnezzar has already come twice and taken two, two groups of people back to Babylon by the time Zedekiah comes. 
okay? He's already set up Zedekiah as kind of this puppet king. And Zedekiah now has been reigning from my math three, four years. And you can see the fact that Jerusalem is in trouble by the request that Zedekiah makes to Jeremiah in verse 2. Inquire, I pray thee, of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, maketh war against us. If so be that the Lord will deal with us according to all his wondrous works, that he may go up from us. Nebuchadnezzar's making war against us. God's going to take care of it, right? Could you ask God? Could you ask God if he's going to do the things that he's always done and make Nebuchadnezzar go away? Now, what you have in verse 3 through 14, the rest of the chapter, is Jeremiah's answer to that inquiry. I didn't say that right. Inquiry, his request. First of all, his answer is to King Zedekiah. And the answer is an emphatic no. God is not going to deliver you from Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, God is going to deliver you to Nebuchadnezzar. God's not going to fight for you. He's going to fight against you. Then in verse 8 through 10, he talks to the people of Judah. He says this, the only way to avoid death is to take your punishment. Anybody who tries to stay behind in Jerusalem, anyone who fights against Nebuchadnezzar, anyone who runs from Nebuchadnezzar, even if you manage to escape him and remain in this city, you're going to die by the pestilence and the famine. The only way to live is submit to Babylon. And then he says in 11 through 14, he talks to the house of the king of Judah, the palace. He says, you've grown so prideful. You think yourselves to be invincible just because you're of the royal line. But even if you don't repent, God is going to make your house a desolation. He is going to punish you according to the fruit of your doings. Now, apparently, that message didn't hit the mark. It didn't reach and do what it was supposed to do because in chapter 22, God tells Jeremiah, actually go to the palace of Zedekiah and give a similar message. So he does so. And in verse 1 through 9, he's standing in the palace, and it's directed towards the people of the palace. He says, you need to execute judgment. You need to relieve the oppressed, care for the strangers and the widows and the orphans in your kingdom, because only then was your kingdom promised to continue. But if you will not hear these words, he says in verse 5, if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, saith the Lord, that this house shall become... A desolation. Verse 6 contains a very interesting phrase. For thus saith the Lord unto the king's house of Judah, Thou art Gilead unto me, and the head of Lebanon. Yet surely I will make thee a wilderness, and cities which are not inhabited. Both of those places, Gilead and Lebanon, were known for their wealth and known for their prosperity. Known for... Uh, fertility and wealth and pleasantness, if you will. But then both of those places came to ruin. Said, you're like Gilead and Lebanon unto me. Now here's what he's saying about it. He's saying disobedience is always going to bring destruction. It doesn't matter how high you are. It doesn't matter how mighty you are. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. When God says you're coming down, you're coming down. But Zedekiah, remember, this message from Zedekiah is spurred, I'm sorry, this message from Jeremiah is spurred by Zedekiah coming up to him and asking, is God going to deliver us from the hand of Nebuchadnezzar like he's always delivered us from 
this. And Jeremiah's answer continues in 22, 10 through 30, and he says, not only will God not deliver them, but the punishment is going to be so bad. He says, you may as well stop mourning for the dead and start mourning for those who are still alive that have to face this punishment. He mentions in verse 11, Shalom, or Jehoahaz, which bring out your chart here, that is Zedekiah's brother, okay? He mentions Shalom in verse 11. Jehoahaz isn't reigning anymore, but he's still alive. He's actually captive. He reigned for 90 days over Judah and then was taken captive by Egypt. He is alive right now in captivity in Egypt. So Jeremiah is telling Zedekiah, stop mourning for your father Josiah who's dead. Start mourning for your brother Shalom or Jehoahaz who's in captivity in Egypt right now because of his disobedience, and he will never again see his homeland because of how disobedient he was. Start mourning for him. Zedekiah has built his kingdom through unrighteousness and through injustice. So in pointing out Jehoahaz and how he's in captivity in Egypt, he then looks at Zedekiah and says, do you think you're going to fare any better? Who is following in the same path of disobedience as your brother? Jeremiah is standing in the palace while he's preaching this, right? And I can imagine him pointing up at the ceilings and pointing at the walls when he says in verse 15, Shalt thou reign because thou closest thyself in cedar? Think you're safe just because you're living in luxury? Jeremiah then reminds him of his father, Josiah, in verse 15. He asks him, Was your father's reign successful because of how rich he was? Or was your father's reign successful because of how obedient he was? Josiah was obedient. That's why God protected him. And that's why God prospered him in his kingdom. In verse 18, Jeremiah then mentions the other brother of Zedekiah, Jehoiakim. So you have Zedekiah's father, Josiah, who was successful because of his obedience. And then you have Zedekiah's brothers, Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim, who were unsuccessful, who were punished because of disobedience. Jehoahaz is right now alive in captivity in Egypt, and he's going to die there. Jehoiakim is in captivity in Babylon already because of his disobedience, and Jeremiah says he's going to die there also. In verse 24, 28, 29, and 30, Jeremiah mentions Jehoi or I'm sorry, Zedekiah's nephew, Jehoiachin. You see that? See him there. Jehoiachin is Jehoiakim's son. Are the names confusing you yet? That is why I have this chart here. He mentions Jeremiah's, uh, or Jeremiah mentions, see, I'm getting all messed up. You're going to help me here. Jeremiah mentions Zedekiah's nephew, Jehoiachin. He is also in captivity in Babylon because of his disobedience. So let me clarify all of that because I think I messed everything up. He mentions Jehoahaz, who disobeyed God and is in captivity in Egypt, and he's going to die there. He mentions Jehoiakim, which is Zedekiah's other brother. He's in captivity in Babylon because of his disobedience. He then mentions Jehoiachin, which is Zedekiah's nephew, who is also in captivity in Babylon because of his disobedience. And here's Zedekiah 
following in the same path of disobedience, using unjust and unrighteous means to surround himself in luxury, coming up to Jeremiah asking if God is going to deal with us according to his past dealings and make Nebuchadnezzar go away. And Jeremiah says, no. God tells Zedekiah, the same punishment is going to come upon you. Verse 25, I will give thee into the hand of them that seek thy life and into the hand of them whose face thou fearest. Now remember, a big portion of the biblical storyline is the covenant that God gave to Abraham and then to Moses and then to David. Okay, And notice this, the covenant comes up again because the covenant to David is that a king is going to come from your line. Messiah is going to come from your line and reign in righteousness and justice and purity. Look at verse 28. Is this man Kaniah, which is Jehoiachin, okay? Is this man Kaniah a despised broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? The answer to that is yes. Because wherefore then are they cast out? He and his seed and are cast into a land which they know not. O earth, earth. Earth, whenever God repeats himself, pay attention. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man, Jehoiachin, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days. For no man of his seed shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. Jehoiachin's line has been cut off from the royal line of David. That's how bad his dis disobedience was. Jeremiah's message in the palace continues in chapter 23, and it further explains why punishment is going to come and why it's right around the corner for Judah. He says, the pastors, the prophets, the priests, and the people are all profane. So you can write that at the heading of chapter 23. Profane pastors, prophets, priests, and people. That's what the chapter is all about. Now, pastors aren't in the New Testament sense of the word, as far as an under-shepherd of a church. But it does have the same meaning as far as leadership is concerned. The word pastors in this chapter is referring to the kings of Judah. The kings of Judah were supposed to be different than the other kings of the nations. Think about it. The kings of Judah were not the final leaders of Judah. They were only considered good kings if they pointed their people to the true king. And it's the same thing with a pastor today. Pastors are not the final leaders of the church. Pastors are only good leaders if they lead the people to the true leader of the church, which is Jesus Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So in that way, you have a similarity. And Jeremiah is saying, these profane pastors have scattered the flock. But even those remnant of people of that scattered flock could hope in that covenant promise that God gave to David. He said one day there's going to be a perfect king, a true leader, a righteous judge that would reign over God's people. Look in verse 3. I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries whither I have driven them. I will bring them again to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, 
and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely and this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Jesus was, is, and always will be the answer to every problem that humans have ever faced. The rest of the chapter is all about the profane prophets and priests and people. God's heart is broken by the state of Judah. The prophets and priests have brought wickedness into the temple. Even though the people have been told they're being lied to, they keep on listening to the lies. Verse 21 says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, even though I didn't send them, if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. But, verse 25 says, instead of the prophets telling God's word, they keep on saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. Let me tell you what I have seen, not what God has said to me. And in verse 28, God says this, the prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? A dream of a prophet, nothing but chaff. My word, wheat. Look at verse 29. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Verse 32. Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness, a watered-down, careless approach to God's word. He's against that, and he always has been. When the people and the prophets asked Jeremiah, because every now and then they would come up to him and say, Jeremiah, what has the Lord told you? What is the burden of the Lord? God told, God told Jeremiah, look back at them and say, what burden? What is the message of the Lord, Jeremiah? What message? And that's Jeremiah's way of saying, what is the point of me telling you what God is saying if you're not going to listen? What's the point of me telling you what God's word says if you're not going to put it into practice? So whenever they come up to you, Jeremiah, and say, what is the burden of the Lord? Look at them and say, what burden? Now this brings us to chapter 24, where we have another jump in the timeline. And here's where things get really, really interesting. We're still in the reign of Zedekiah, but this chapter takes us back to the very beginning of his reign. And you can see that in verse 1. After that, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah. Okay, uh, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, which is Jehoiachin, who was the king right before Zedekiah. In fact, the next three chapters all take us back further and further and further in time. And what we're going to do is we're just going to look at the time and contents of each chapter. And once we reach the end of the time jumps, then we're going to be able to see the purpose of looking back in time. Okay. Chapter 24 takes us back about three to five years from where we were in chapter 21 and 22. By this time, Nebuchadnezzar has already taken two groups captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. And Jeremiah in chapter 24 has a vision of two baskets of figs. One basket is very good, perfectly ripe figs, couldn't get any better. Another one is a basket of Horribly rotten figs, evil figs, naughty figs, Jeremiah calls them, uh, calls them, so bad that they cannot be eaten. 
And the good figs stand, Jeremiah says, the, the good figs picture those who were already taken captive into Babylon in the first two waves. Look in verse 6. For I will set mine eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them again to this land. I will build them, not pull them down. I will plant them, not pluck them up. I will give them in heart to know me that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. That's the good figs. The bad figs are the people who choose to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And he's telling this to Zedekiah. Anyone who refuses to submit to Nebuchadnezzar's authority, anyone who chooses to stay in Jerusalem instead of going into captivity would become as cursed as the rotten figs. Chapter 25 takes us back another eight years into the fourth year of the reign of Jehoiakim. So back we go again. This just so happens to be the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, this new young king of Babylon. And the message of this chapter in, verse 20, uh, or in chapter 25 was for all the people of Judah, and it begins in verse 1 through 3 with Jeremiah reminding them of when his ministry started all the way back during the reign of Josiah. And he says this, I have been preaching to you, at this point in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, he says, I've been preaching to you now for 23 years and none of you have listened to me. That's a long time not to have any converts. 23 years and none of you have listened to me. Not only has Jeremiah been prophesying, many other good prophets have been prophesying during this time. Look in verse 7. Yet ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Because Judah has refused to listen for so long, God is going to use this new up-and-coming king named Nebuchadnezzar to bring punishment on Judah. They're going to go into captivity for 70 years. The rest of the chapter tells them not only is Judah going to be punished, but all the nations are going to be punished by Nebuchadnezzar. And by the way, once Nebuchadnezzar's done having his fun, God's going to punish him as well. But Jeremiah names all these nations that are going to be punished Egypt, Uz, Philistia, Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon, many more. And he asked this in verse 29, Lo, I begin to bring evil on the city which is called by my name, and should ye be utterly unpunished? If I'm going to punish my own people that I love, I'm definitely going to punish all the heathen nations. Nobody is going to get away from it, not even Babylon. Look in verse 13. I will bring upon that land, or the land of Babylon, all my words which I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book which Jeremiah hath prophesied against all the nations. Remember that book. In fact, I encourage you to make a mark in your Bible. Remember that book of Jeremiah's prophecies against all the nations. It's going to come up another couple times in the book of Jeremiah. Remember that book. Chapter 26 takes us back another four years to the very beginning of Jehoiakim's reign. Let's review here. We start in chapter 21 in kind of the middle of Zedekiah's reign. Chapter 22, same time. Chapter 23, same time. Chapter 24 takes us back about three to five years to the beginning of Zedekiah's reign. Chapter 26 takes us back eight years. And then and to the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign. Am I saying this right? No, I'm not. Please forgive me. I'm telling you, this, this is why, okay? 
It can be confusing when you read this and you're wanting to know what's going on, but you have to take the time in order to think it through because otherwise we'll miss it. 21 through 23, the middle of Zedekiah's reign. Go to 24, the beginning of Zedekiah's reign. 25, the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign. Chapter 26, the very beginning of Jehoiakim's reign. But it keeps on taking us back and back and back and back. I am so sorry if I'm confusing you, but we'll get there, okay? Judah has just been led into a sweeping revival, okay? Uh, not very long because Jehoahaz only reigned for 90 days. So Jehoiakim came pretty much right on the heels of Josiah's reign. They have this sweeping revival, but Jeremiah 3.10 tells us that they didn't mean it. The people just kind of feigned it and faked it, okay? Uh, so in chapter 26 here, now that Josiah is dead and Jehoiakim is reigning in his stead, God tells Jeremiah to stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak unto all the cities of Judah. Look in verse 3. If so be, they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way that I may repent me of the evil which I purpose to do unto them because of the evil of their doings. This seems to be referring to the same temple sermon of chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10. You remember that temple sermon that Jeremiah preached. This seems to be the same one here. And this chapter shows us the people's reaction to Jeremiah's message. They basically say, how dare you say that God is going to destroy us and punish us? We just rebuilt this temple. Don't you see us coming in and worshiping here? Don't you see us coming in and giving sacrifices and offerings? They say in verse 8, Jeremiah, thou shalt surely die because of what you just said. The princes get involved which are kind of the, the ambassadors from the palace, the princes come up and the prophets and the priests are saying, this is what Jeremiah said against the temple. He's worthy to die. So then the princes start talking amongst each other and Jeremiah is basically listening the entire time and they say, yeah, yeah, you deserve to die. Jeremiah says, before you kill me, just know something. The Lord is the one who sent me to tell you this. So do whatever you want. I'm in your hand, but just know if you kill me, you have innocent blood on your hands. And he steps back. So then the princes think, well, if he just told us what God told him to tell us, then he's not worthy of death. And they start this little round table discussion, and they bring up a couple different scenarios of other prophets. And one of them says, remember Micah, which is the Micah of the scripture, Micah the Moorishthite. Micah, they said, he prophesied under Hezekiah. And he said something similar to what Jeremiah is saying. And Hezekiah didn't put him to death. In fact, Hezekiah listened to him. And didn't God bless him for it? But then somebody else says, oh yeah, but there was that other prophet, Urijah. And Urijah also prophesied during Jehoiakim's reign, just like Jeremiah. Urijah also prophesied doom on Judah, just like Jeremiah did, and Jehoiakim put him to death. He was tried according to the law, and he was put to death for it. So Jeremiah, they come to the conclusion, if, if Urijah could be put to death for what he said, so can Jeremiah. And if it wasn't for one person in the very end of the chapter, Ahikam, if it wasn't for Ahikam, Jeremiah would have been put to death that day for his temple sermon. Chapter 27 begins in this same year 
as chapter 26, still the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim. And God tells Jeremiah to make bonds and yokes. So he's to make multiple of them. One of them he's supposed to wear as a symbol, if you will. He's supposed to wear this, these bonds around his hands and a yoke across his neck as a symbol. But then he's going to make multiple and he's going to send one to Edom and one to Moab and one to Ammon, one to Tyre and one to Sidon. And the message of the bonds and yokes is clear. God is saying all of these nations, Judah and all those others that I've sent a yoke to, you need to submit to the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. And if you do so, you'll live. But if you try to fight against him, if you try to run away from him, you will not live. That's the message of the bonds and the yokes. Then notice with me what happens in chapter 27, verse 12. We're only going to get through chapter 27 tonight. Look at what happens in 27 verse 12. I spake also to who? Zedekiah. Interesting. King of Judah, according to all these words, saying, Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon, and serve him and his people, and live. Why will ye die? Thou and thy people, by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, as the Lord hath spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon. What we come to find later is Zedekiah starts accusing Jeremiah of treason because Jeremiah is saying the only way our nation is going to survive is by submitting to the enemy. Zedekiah doesn't like that. But suddenly in the timeline, once we hit Jeremiah 27, 12, suddenly we're back to where we began in chapter 21. Do you see that? We're back in the reign of Zedekiah. Jeremiah's message to Zedekiah was the same that he's been saying for decades. Take your punishment. Why will ye die? Stop listening to the false prophets. Listen to God and you will live. He addresses the people. The prophets are telling them, Nebuchadnezzar has, take, has taken vessels out of the temple, but pretty soon he's going to bring them all back and everything's going to be good and peace, peace. And Jeremiah says, no, that's not what's going to happen. He's not bringing back the vessels. In fact, you need to go to Babylon where he already took the vessels. And instead of having the prophets prophesy falsely, why don't you ask your prophets to pray that the vessels that remain in the temple don't get taken as well? So, but God did say all, everything is going to be wiped out. And you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. And only then will you bring the vessels back. And we reach the end of this little section here. We've come full circle. And for now, the jumps in chronology seem to stop for a little while. So follow me here. We started in chapter 21, near the middle of Zedekiah's reign. We jumped back three to five years in chapter 24. Still in Zedekiah's reign, but at the beginning of it. We jumped back another eight years in chapter 25 to the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign. In chapter 26 and 27, we jump back another four years to the very beginning of Jehoiakim's reign. And then we find ourselves right back where we start in chapter 27, verse 12. Why? Why all those jumps in chronology? Why don't you just tell the story as it happened, right? And you seriously have commentators say, well, this is obviously just copyists who, they, they, they honestly try to get you to believe that copyists one day were carrying a scroll and then dropped it. And then, oh, and then put it on the desk of their boss without telling them that they dropped it. 
and nobody noticed that there are these jumps in chronology. That is ridiculous, okay? God has written his word, and it is decent and in order. Even when it is out of chronological order, it is in order. So we have to ask, why? Why all the jumps in chronology? Because even me, I've, I've spent hours studying this over the past week, and I can't even get it right, all the different jumps. Why not just tell it in order? Well, remember, if we remember what spurred this conversation between Jeremiah and Zedekiah, we're going to understand why these jumps are there, and we'll also see a very important truth that we'll take with us before we go home. So sometime near the middle of Zedekiah's 11-year reign, he asks in chapter 21, verse 2, Inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, maketh war against us. If so be that the Lord will deal with us according to all his wondrous works, that he may go from us. And chapter 21, verse 3, all the way to chapter 27, verse 22, including the backwards time jumps, are all a part of Jeremiah's way of saying no. God is not going to deliver you. And let me explain why the answer is no. And first he starts in chapter 21 by speaking of what is happening then in the present. No, Zedekiah, God isn't going to deliver you from Babylon. He's going to deliver you to Babylon. In fact, the only way to live is by submitting yourself to the punishment that God is bringing. That message doesn't seem to work, so he has to go in chapter 22 to the actual king's house and say it again. Zedekiah, you are asking if God is going to deliver Judah from punishment. Did he deliver your brother, Jehoahaz? No, he's in captivity in Egypt after 90 days of reigning because he was disobedient and he's going to die there. Did he deliver your father, Josiah? Yes, because he was obedient, not because of how rich and mighty he was. Did he deliver your other brother, Jehoiakim? No, he's in captivity in Babylon. Did he deliver your nephew? No, he's also in captivity in Babylon because of his disobedience, and his disobedience is so bad, he's been cut off from the royal line. And now you're following in the same path of disobedience. The pastors, the prophets, the priests, the people in your kingdom are all profane. And you're asking me if God is going to deliver you? The answer is no. And don't be surprised that the answer's no. And now we get to these jumps in chronology. Because Jeremiah is saying, do you remember what I told you a few years ago? When you first became king and the Lord gave me a vision of a bas two baskets of figs, I told you back then the good figs pictured people who were already in Babylon. And I told you back then, at the beginning of your reign, if you rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, you were going to be just as cursed as those rotten figs. So why are you coming up to me and asking me now if God's going to deliver you? Didn't I tell you back then that that wasn't going to happen? Go back with me further. Do you remember, um, not only have I told you, do you remember when I told your brother in the fourth year of his reign, do you remember when I told Jehoiakim the exact same thing, that Judah was going to suffer captivity for 70 years? Do you see what he's doing? Going back in the chronology? Go back with me another four years to the very beginning of Jehoiakim's reign. And I stood in the temple itself and I begged and I pleaded for you to change your ways. And I said, if you repented from your disobedience, God would repent 
from the punishment that he had purposed against you. But instead of you all listening to me, you all almost put me to death. He would have to be reminded of that. That same year, didn't I wear bonds and yokes and send them to all the nations? Zedekiah was alive at this point. He would have known that. He would have remembered that. Don't you remember me wearing bonds and yokes and sending them to all the surrounding nations, telling them that that was God commanding us to submit to the yoke of the king of Babylon? Comes all the way back full circle. Zedekiah, I have been telling you that this was coming for over 30 years now, and you have not hearkened unto me. And now, because Nebuchadnezzar is knocking on the door, you're asking me to ask God to deliver you. The answer is no. And what do you expect the answer to be? Did that make sense? It made sense to me. And church, before we're too hard on Zedekiah, we have so much Zedekiah in us. We hear God's word. We see the warnings. We see that sin has consequences. But nothing bad has happened yet. So why change? Lightning hasn't fallen. So why change? We know that sneaking behind our parents' back is going to bring punishment. But nothing has happened yet. We haven't been caught. So why change? I know what the Bible says about tithing, but I haven't gone bankrupt yet. In fact, I'm doing quite well financially, so why change? I know the Bible says I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I understand that watching filth is wrong, but I haven't been caught yet, so why change? I know what the Bible says about church attendance, but my life hasn't fallen apart yet, so why change? How many times have we been told, you better stop that. God sees it. And he will punish you for it. How many times have we sat in church and heard, this is what's right and this is what's wrong, but we refuse to listen? Doesn't the Bible say, be sure your sin will find you out? And it's amazing. It's amazing. The same people who ignore God's word, the same people who push against the Holy Spirit's convictions, the same people that play around with sin, the same people that mock the preacher, the same people that justify their wickedness. It's amazing how quickly their attitude changes when Nebuchadnezzar comes knocking at the door. It's the heartbreak of every pastor to see people who refuse to listen to God's word because we know one day Nebuchadnezzar is going to come knocking. And when you come and ask, Pastor, what is God going to do? What's going to happen to me? We're going to have to say, what's going to happen is the same thing that we've told you is going to happen ever since the beginning. Do you not remember the messages? Do you not remember the many times that I warned you that this would happen, but you refused to listen? The same people who mocked Noah, why are you building a boat in the middle of the desert? I bet you their attitude changed real quick when that first raindrop fell. That's why the Bible says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1?
Proverbs chapter 1. Verse 24, can we start there? Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as a desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. Can I put it this way? When Nebuchadnezzar comes knocking, and he will. When distress and anguish come upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me early, but they shall not find me. Can I ask a question, church? How come when God knocks on our door, we push him away? But when Nebuchadnezzar knocks on our door, we get serious. Why do we react more when Nebuchadnezzar knocks on our door than when God does? Proverbs 29.1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his necks shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And that was Jeremiah's message to Zedekiah. I've told you this was coming. God has been knocking on your door for 30 years in my ministry. But you never listened. Now that Nebuchadnezzar is here, now you're coming to me? It's not the way it works. Church, as a pastor, I will warn, and I will plead, and I will cry, and I will pray, and I will beg, and I will gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more I love you, the less I be loved. Some Christians are so far away from God, you wouldn't hear him if he screamed. We know what we're supposed to do. We know what God's word says. Only you can make that decision. We have an opportunity to kneel before the very throne of God, but we won't pray. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus has saved his soul, and we're going to have a sour attitude and a horrible, rotten spirit? Aren't we supposed to be the light of the world? We have an opportunity after every single message to come forward to an old-fashioned altar and humble ourselves before God and say, this is the decision that I am making for you. And I understand, I get the argument, I don't have to make a decision down at the altar. I make the argument, why not? Why not come forward to an altar? Why not humble yourself? Just if the pastor preaches on sin, which I'm going to, I've heard people say, I don't go forward because I don't want people thinking I'm messed up in that sin. No, no, no. What happens here is between you and God. And if we're out there in the pews thinking, man, Brother Dustin went forward to the altar. He must be really messed up in what pastor preached about that day. We are so petty. Why don't we worry about ourselves during the altar call? But ch church... Why don't we come? Why don't we come and do business with the Lord? 
We know what we're supposed to do. We know what God says. Why do we mess around in sin? Why aren't we a witness? Why can't we remember the last time we led a soul to the Lord? Does that not bother us? You're not fruitful. You're not joyful. You've lost your song. You've lost your hunger and thirst for God and his righteousness. God, help us. Turn back. Turn back while there's hope. Turn back while you can. Answer when God knocks on the door or one day Nebuchadnezzar will come knocking. For Jesus to have to say, I stand at the door and knock? Why isn't our heart open? For Jesus to have to stay, I, I'm, let me in. Somebody let me in. If any man hear my voice, let him open the door and I will come unto him and sup with him and he with me. Does the Lord not speak? Do you not hear him speaking to your heart as clearly as Zedekiah heard Jeremiah's voice ringing in his palace? If you don't, what's come in between? Every time this book is open, God is speaking. So if you don't hear his voice, what has come in between? But if he is knocking, and if you do hear him, open the door. Bid him enter while you may. I beg of you. I beg of you. Answer when God knocks. You have to answer when Nebuchadnezzar knocks. And there will be punishment and there will be scars and there will be wasted time. You can answer now. Answer the door. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.